Well, this is what I really believe that God wants to do in this place at this time today. I believe that God wants to change our lives. I really believe that. And uh, I'm very, very, very excited about this new series that we're coming into. In fact, I'm more than just a little bit passionate about it because this is what I believe, that if you and I will hear it and we'll put it into practice, we'll just embrace it in our life, it has the potential to change our lives. Now, why do I say that? I'm not talking about my talk, my words. I'm talking about what the Bible says is able to change our lives. And again, I'm very, very excited about what we're going to be looking at. In fact, it sort of comes out of, and I don't mind giving you a little bit of background here, you know, knowing that we were rolling out of the series in James, knowing what we're going to be going into. I had this window, and I'm like, God, you know, just speak to me so that I can speak to your people. And I came across a passage, and it just spoke to me. It was like it just lit up, and I knew that this was exactly what God wanted us to talk about in these weeks, and it's what we're going to dive into. And um, again, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I'm excited about it. But even saying that, um, you know, I, I've got to tell you, I have some concerns. I have a cons concerns for um, really those who are a part of our church family. And why I mean that and what I'm going to be talking about, and I'll go ahead and tell you this uh, right up front, I'm going to be talking about life in God's kingdom. And I know a lot of times we think, well, you know, life in God's kingdom, isn't that something that is yet to come? When you think kingdom, a lot of times our mind thinks, what is to come? We, we have a futuristic mentality, but there's something that Jesus said that was so profound when he was speaking to some of his followers one day, and this is what he said. He said, the kingdom of God is among you even now. And the reality is that you and I, if we're in the family of God, we're part of the kingdom. But here's something that is, again, great concerning, of great concern to me, and that is I wonder how many people that are a part of our church family that just misses out on that reality. It was, it's as though they may be living as though they're not yet vitally connected to the kingdom of God. And a lot of people are doing that. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you just say, you know what, Jeff, to be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not really living. I feel like instead of really living, I feel like I just have a mere place, a mere existence in this world. And maybe you don't feel like at all that you're, you're thriving in the kingdom of God. Maybe when you think about your life, you just say, you know, I just feel like I'm holding on. I feel like I'm just barely surviving. That's, that's not life in the kingdom of God. Maybe if you say, well, you know, when I think about my life, I don't think about my life as somebody that's experiencing God's best for my life or even God's purpose for my life. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just here. I don't feel like, and that is not life in the kingdom of God. But this is what I want you to know. This is where I want you to be encouraged. Although I have these concerns, and rightly so, that you could be missing out on what is God's best, what is God's premium for your life, life in the kingdom. I want you to be encouraged in this reality. What I'm going to be talking about today and then next Sunday and the next week after that is it's within your grasp. It's within your reach. You can know it. You can experience it. And, um, you know, I just don't want you to miss that. I just don't. And we're going to be talking about it. And I just pray that today you just say, you know, I'm in. I'm in. I hear. I follow. I want to do God's will. I want to do God's work. I want to be a part of the kingdom in the way that God wants me to be a part of the kingdom. And this passage that I'm going to just share with you that is our theme for this series. And I'll, I'll read it now in the beginning of next week and two weeks from today. Our theme verse, uh, verses for this series is actually found in Romans chapter 14. And I want you to take a look at them with me. And we're not going to unpack this. I'm going to read as the theme. And, and you'll see this as we get a little bit more deeply into it. But let's begin here. 
Romans 14, look at verses 17 and 18. This is Paul writing to some believers, and he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of, and I want you to say these three words with me, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to take, and context is important, context matters a whole lot. But I'm not going to take our time to really deal with all of the context that leads us up to that because I trust you enough that later today or maybe sometime tonight, you'll just open up your Bible and you'll go back and you'll look, uh, especially at the four verses leading up to these two. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then look at what Paul says next, verse 18. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way in this way, is pleasing to God and approved by men. And so, again, you'll want to go back and look, and you'll see that, that Paul is writing to these believers living in Rome, and it's, it's like he's saying, you know what? You think that this is the kingdom of God. You think that it is eating and drinking, but that is not the kingdom of God at all. What you need to know is what Paul was saying. What we need to know today is that's not the kingdom. These other things aren't the part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God for you, it is righteousness and it is peace and joy. And these are the three words that will be our focus today. And we're going to take only one. But before we talk about joy, in fact, what I'm going to do uh, after this is I'm going to give you four thoughts right out of the Bible concerning joy. And, and let me just say this. There's a lot more than this. It's like when I was looking at and just praying through and, and praying and reading and writing and praying and reading and writing. I'm, I'm just like, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to share? And it's like, there's so many things that the Bible addresses that will bring joy into our lives. But it was like these four just stood above the rest. They seem to be more premium, uh, preeminent than the others. But before we talk about joy, these four truths, I want you to look at what Dallas Willard has written in regards to living in the kingdom of God. This is what he said. He said, living in the kingdom of God is a matter of living with God's action in our lives. When we seek the kingdom of God, when we seek the kingdom of God, we're seeking more and more to allow God to be present in everything that we are and everything that we do, and we allow him to act and overrule and guide and help us become what he intended for us to be. So here's what I want to do in the next few moments that we have together. I want to talk to you about four ways that we can enjoy joy. This is what the Bible says, straight out of the Bible. Four ways that we can enjoy joy, and you're going to see each of them. We're going to talk about them a little bit. Here's the first one. Take a look at it up on the screen. A joy comes as a result of obeying the teachings of Jesus. Now, I've said it. I want you to say it with me, everybody now. Let's all say it together. Joy comes as a result of obeying the teachings of Jesus. Now, I know, I know what some of you are thinking, and you'll never say it, and you wouldn't want to admit that you would even think it, but I know what some of you are thinking. When you think about learning and living out the teachings of Jesus, the first thought that comes into your mind is not joy. For some of you, if you'll just be candid and honest, You'd say, when I think about living out the commands of Jesus, maybe you'd say, you know, to sit down and learn them and live them, that, that doesn't sound joyful. That sounds boring to me. Or maybe you'd even say, that sounds miserable to me. Or that sounds so restrictive to me. 
Maybe you're even thinking, well, what if I did get really, really serious about following Jesus' teaching? Then what that would probably mean for me is I would have to part ways with the majority of my friends. Now, I didn't say that, and I'm not going to say that. But maybe that's the notion of thought that comes into your mind. Well, to really do that, to really become serious about learning, living out, then that means I'm going to have to part with a lot of my friendships. Or you might would say, if I start obeying what Jesus really wants me to do with my life, then I might as well say goodbye to all of the fun that I'm accustomed to in my life. Just fill out the blank. Well, this brings me a lot of fun. This is a lot of joy. And I really, but if I really get serious about following Jesus' teachings, then I might as well just say goodbye to that because that's going to be no more a part of my life. And a lot of times, that's just the way that we have in terms of our mentality. We think of that which is restrictive and that which is burdensome. But can I just tell you, friends, this is, this is something that is so clear in the Bible. Following the teachings of Jesus is not a burden. And I'm going to show you a verse in regards to that. What is becoming a burden to us is sin becomes a burden. You know what the Bible says about sin? The Bible says... And let me back up and say it this way. If anybody ever says something like this to you, sin is no fun at all. Well, they're not telling you the truth. They want you to believe. But it, sin is fun for, but the Bible says, but for a season. And then when the consequences of sin come rolling in, the consequences of sin, remember what the Bible says, what we sow, we're going to reap. And so what we think is so, so wonderful, so intoxicating, so incredible in regards to sin, it feels that way for a season. But then as the Bible says, after a while, sin becomes like a burden too heavy to bear. And Jesus' teachings are not. This lady that I know, she says, when I was about 16 years of age, my parents just wanted me to enjoy full octane freedom in my life. So when I was about 16 years of old, she said, can you believe it? She said, my parents provided me with my own apartment because they didn't want me to have any restrictions. They just wanted me to enjoy all the freedoms that were available to me. And she said it was such a tragic thing for me. She said, because I had so many of my other friends that there were things that we could have done that we really didn't want to do. And one by one, my friends could always get out of it because they would say, well, you know, I've got to get home and I've got a curfew or my mom or my dad's going to be looking for me. If I do that, I'm going to get in trouble. But she said, I was never able to do that because I had no excuses. I didn't have curfews. I didn't have to get home to parents. And she said, what I thought initially was going to be a representation of tremendous freedom to me actually brought tremendous misery to my life. It was ruinous to me. It was destructive to my life. I want you to look at something that Jesus says in John 15. This is amazing, amazing. Uh, three verses. Take a look at them up on the screen. John 15. This is Jesus. And Jesus said, I love you as the Father loved me. You think about that. And Jesus says that to you. I love you, every one of you, in the same way that the Father loved me. Now look at what he adds to that. He said, now remain in my love. Jesus said, look at the next part, verse 10. He said, I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. In the same way, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Jesus never, never tried to hide the, hide the fact that he came into this world to fulfill the will of the Father. And right here we see him saying in John's gospel, you know what I did? I came into this world and I obeyed my Father's commands. Look at verse 11. He said, I've told you these things so that you can have, 
we're talking about joy this morning. Join the kingdom of God so that you can have the same joy that I have and so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Your obedience, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying your obedience is not going to lead you down a path of frustration. He, Jesus is saying in my own life, this is what I sought to do. And Jesus was the most joyful person that ever walked the planet. If you think that Jesus was stern and mean and always had a frown on his face and just never had a good time, never knew any joy, then that is so unlike the Jesus that is characterized in Scripture. One of the ways that we know that is the reaction of kids to Jesus. Kids are highly discernible about an adult's level of receptivity toward them. And kids always felt comfortable with Jesus. In fact, they would go to Jesus and it would be his followers who would, who would try to shoo the kids away because they thought that Jesus was too important or too preoccupied or too bothered by kids. And Jesus was like, hey, allow the kids to come to me. The kingdom, the kingdom of God belongs to people just like this, little kids. And they felt comfortable. And Jesus was the most joyful person that ever walked this planet. And he made it so abundantly clear. He said, I had this indescribable joy in my life. I came into the world. I sought to fulfill the Father's commands. I love the Father. I know that the Father loves me. And because I fulfill the Father's commands, I have this joy. And then Jesus looks at us and he says, you know what I want you to know? I want you to know just the way the Father loved me. That's the way I love you. And just the way that I sought to obey the Father's commands, I want you to obey my teachings. And if you obey my teachings the way I obeyed my father's commands, here's what you're going to know in your life. You're going to have indescribable joy. You're going to have this incredible joy in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. Your obedience is not going to lead you down a path of frustration. It's not going to cause you to feel a sense of despair. It is not going to feel, make you feel as though you're a slave in captivity. It is certainly not required that you're going to have to return your fun pass when you come into the kingdom. Jesus knew this life of outrageous joy. Now, a thought for us to consider before we move on to the next point, and that is if you and I avoid and disobey the teachings of Jesus, it is not because, it is not because we're incapable of fulfilling them. It is because I do not want to submit to them. Here's a verse that has changed my life. It's not on the screen, but I want to read it to you. And when I read it, and it was not the first time I'd read it. I'd read it many, many times before. It's just like it lined up in my mind. So much so, so profoundly, I've incorporated this into my prayer life most days. It's 1 John 5, 3. And this is what... John the Apostle said, he said, this is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands, listen to this, are not burdensome. What is burdensome? Sin, not in the beginning, but when the consequences of sin roll in, then it becomes like a burden. This is what the Old Testament said, it becomes like a burden, too heavy to bear. But the commands of Jesus and I started incorporating that more and more into my life in, in ways like this. There are so many days when I'll be praying and I'll say something like this. Jesus, you said that if I really, really do love you, I will obey your commands. I will obey your teachings. If I really love you, that's what I'll do. And I'm so thankful that your commands, that your teachings are not, as 1 John 5, 3 says, that they are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. 
So here's the first thing that I want you to know about joy, and I hope you're getting them down. Get them down, you know, uh, your phone, your tablet, a crayon on your arm, whatever you got to do. I want you to get this down. First of all, joy comes a result, as a result of obeying the teachings of Jesus. Secondly, be sure you get this. This is so important. Secondly, joy can be experienced. You see it here on the screen. Joy can be experienced even when you're mistreated for Jesus' sake. You can experience joy even when you're mistreated for Jesus' sake. Now, listen, let me just say this. If, if you suffer some consequences because of your own stupidity, that's not for Jesus' sake. You don't get, like, extra credit for that, all right? And I know because I've done my fair share of stupid things and have had to experience the consequences. I was thinking about this recently, in fact. When I was, when I was a boy, um, many, many years ago, of course, and we lived at that point. I grew up in Atlanta, but for a few short years, we lived in Valdosta, Georgia. How many of you know where that is? Lowndes County, just across the state line. And we lived there, and about three doors down from me was my friend Rick. And Rick had so many cool things, and one of the coolest things that Rick had was a hog-nosed snake. How many of you have ever seen a hog-nosed snake? You know what, one of those, a hognose snake, let me just say this, it looks a lot more dangerous than it really is. And so I'd see uh, Rick holding his snake or his brother, and, you know, they were comfortable with it, and he convinced me there's nothing wrong with a snake. And so, you know, I found it to be somewhat fascinating to be holding this reptile that looked so intimidating but was harmless. And I can remember one day Rick and his snake had come down to my house, and I'm, I'm well, let me hold it, Rick, and I'm, I'm holding it. Now, this is, uh, this is a house that we lived in, and this will give you a, a little bit of a visual of the house. Our laundry room was not inside of the house. Actually, you walked out of the kitchen down a couple of steps into a carport area, and then you hang a right, walk into that door, and that was the laundry room, and that's where our washer and dryer was. And so on this particular day, I'm standing there in the little carport area. The door from the kitchen to the carport opens up, and my mom walks out of the door. Now, you're going to be totally shocked by this, but my mom is not very tall. You're going to be shocked by that. I know. She's not even five foot tall. And I remember this so vividly. Mom came, and she didn't see me with the snake. She saw me, but she didn't see the snake initially. And so she walks out, and she's got, now listen, this, this will tell you, and some of you ladies, this, you'll remember this, the description. She wasn't wearing a house coat. As she called it, she was wearing a duster. How many of you have ever heard of a duster? Now, isn't a duster a car? Uh, that's, uh, you know, but no. She was wearing a duster and had some house slippers on. And so she came out of the kitchen. The door was shut behind her, but the door into the laundry room was not yet open. And I don't know if it was God or if it was the devil, but I heard a voice say, chase your little mom with that snake. Wouldn't that be fun? And I thought, this is going to be so fun because I knew what my mom felt about snakes. And so I turned around and I had this snake and she, she just shrieked and she looked and she couldn't run to the left because that door was shut and she couldn't run to the right because that door was shut. So I moved her direction and she took off running through our backyard and then through our neighbor's backyard. 
And then around the side of our neighbor's house and through their front yard and through our front. And it was so funny. I had no idea that my mother had that much energy. In fact, she would slow. It would seem that she would tire a little bit. And I would hear her little house slippers slow down. And about the time when I thought she could not go anymore, it was amazing to me because if I would just touch her on the back with the head of that snake, she just sped up all over again. It was amazing. And I'd hear a little... It sounded, you remember as a kid, you'd put that little playing card in your spokes, and that's what I heard little house slippers would sound like. And I mean, she'd slow down, and I'd speed her up again. And finally, she reached a place of sheer exhaustion, and she turned around, and she let me have it. And then on top of that, when my dad got home, he wasn't very happy either, and I got it all over again. Now, that is not suffering. You, you say, well, why didn't you, you know, claim a New Testament verse that you shall take up snakes and, you know, and uh, something like that. And oh, all I was doing is taking up snakes. And now I'm being persecuted by my own family. No, it was not that. It was my own stupidity. And I paid the consequences for it. Luke 6. I want you to look at these verses. This is Luke 6. Remember, joy can be experienced even when you're mistreated for Jesus' sake. Look at Luke 6. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Look at what Jesus said. He said, when that's going on, he said, rejoice in that day and leap for what? For what? Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Jesus said, you don't, you don't grow dismayed with that. You rejoice in that. You feel joy that you're suffering from my name. You leap for joy because that is what the prophets before you experience. That's what they went through. And who would think that you could be, I mean, <laughs> Just consider, who would think that you could be, as the verses said, that you could be hated, that you could be excluded, that you could be insulted, that you could be rejected and still remain joyful? And you can, you can, if these happen to you because of your identity with Jesus. Not because of our stupidity, but because of our identity with Jesus. Now, if you will not tell anybody, I'm going to let you in on a dirty little secret, and it is this. Do you know that there are a lot of unchurched people that view Christians as being weak and soft and cowardly? And truth be told, we often give them good reason to. And that is because they have seen way too many Christians in our culture. And I'm, I'm not talking about, I'm telling you what our brothers and sisters in Christ, what they go through, what they experience. I mean, listen, just because you're a little bit ignored or, or rejected or you're not part of this in-group or that, listen, that is not, that, I, I hate to disappoint you, but that is not severe persecution. Like our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world experience and face every day. The threats of imprisonment, the threats of execution, the threats of being disowned by their very own family, lose their job, not just be ostracized by a couple of co-workers that are hell-bent, but to lose their job, to be disowned by their family. But here in our culture, sometimes unchurched people, and again, rightly so, look, and they say, well, you know, I've seen so many Christians that they seem strong, and they follow Jesus. They follow Jesus as long as it is safe and as long as it is comfortable. But when it's not safe anymore and when it's not comfortable and when there's something to be paid. And I want you to just consider the antithesis of that. Now, I was studying this passage, and I know that this was God because I, I promise you, I was not smart enough to see this on my own. It was like I sensed the Holy Spirit directing me 
the what everything that Jesus went through. And you know what Jesus went through? Went through everything that we just read in Luke 6. Consider Jesus. He was willing to be insulted. He was willing to be rejected. He was willing to be hated. Hated to the point that he would be nailed to a cross. Why? Because of his insane love for you and me. In fact, I want you to listen closely to these words. This is right out of Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And this is so correlated with what we're talking about. Jesus, remember what Jesus is saying? Hey, you're willing to suffer for my name's sake? That's a good thing. Leave for joy that you suffered for the sake of my name. That's a good thing. And then Hebrews 12, 2 says, he's speaking of Jesus, that he did not give up because of the cross. He did not. It says, but instead of giving up on the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him. What do I suggest to us? You know, in the first part of this joy, how do you and I really enjoy joy? It's when we say, you know what? I'm never going to be as joyful as when I obey, when I learn and live out the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus are not burdensome. And when I live them out, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be fulfilling. It's going to be joyful in my life because I'm going to find myself in the epicenter of what God wants me to do. It is also true with this. Joy is found when we say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a page out of Jesus' playbook. I'm going to develop, maybe for the first time in my life, some grit. And I'm going to push through the pain because I know that if I push through the pain, what Jesus is telling me, there is joy on the backside of the pain. I live with this reality. I hope you do as well. I never want to deny Jesus. I never want to be ashamed of Jesus because I don't want to stand before God one day and have God deny me or be ashamed of me. People ask me, you're a Christian? Absolutely. I hope they don't even have to ask. I want to gladly tell them. Got through the gym yesterday. I was talking to a guy afterwards. I'm just getting to know. And this guy said, hey, uh, hey, what do you do? I didn't pretend that I'm not a Christian. I didn't try to hide my vocation. I, I, I didn't say, you know, I'm a professional football player. I know he thought that looking at me in the gym. I know that was his first thought. I said, I'm a pastor. I get the privilege to lead a church. He said, well, that's great. We had a neat little conversation about that. I don't want to disassociate myself from Jesus. Because I don't want to stand before him one day and have him disassociate himself from me. And there is joy. I'm just telling you, friend, there is joy that can be experienced even when we're mistreated for Jesus' sake. Now, look at this third one. This third one is so important. I think it's the most important one of them all. You see it here on the screen. You will know real joy when you believe in and receive Jesus. You will know real joy when you believe in and receive Jesus. And let's be honest with one another. Let's do that. You don't have to be in a relationship with Jesus to experience what I would call situational happiness. You don't have to be in a relationship with Christ to know situational happiness. You can be feeling quite gloomy, and then all of a sudden in life you catch a break. You feel a downcast, forlorn in spirit, but then all of a sudden you get a new job and that sort of picks you up, situational happiness. Or you have the job that you have and you get a raise at that job. Or you're saying, well, you know what? I've always wanted to get a car just like this. And then you have the resources and you get a car like that. Or you move into the kind of house you always wanted to move into. Or you get the boat that you've been envying for some time. And, and it's like, you know what? I, I'm, I feel situational happiness. This has made me happy. Or you're a guy and you say, you know what? That girl that I have been pestering. She's finally agreed to go out with me at least once. That's why she said she'll go out at least once. 
Or you say, you know what? That annoying coworker has been moved to a different department now, and I'm thanking God for that, that situational happiness. Or I was remembered in the will with some season tickets to all of the home games of the Georgia Bulldogs, that situational happiness. But there is a huge problem. Hear me, friends. There's a huge problem with situational happiness. It leaks. It leaks. It will vanish just as quickly as it has materialized. I want to talk about a major contrast to that for just a moment, and I want you to see it here. This is 1 Peter verses 8 and 9 out of chapter 1. Look at this with me. Though you have not seen him, though you have not seen Jesus, you love Jesus, and even though you do not see him now, you believe. What's that word? You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are, what's this word? receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There are two very, very important words here. Believe and receiving. Believe and receiving. If you're not in a personal relationship with Jesus as of yet, but you believe, that's wonderful. You say, well, you know, Jeff, there's a lot that I don't know, and there's a lot about the Bible and God and Christ and Holy Spirit and all that I'm trying to figure out in my life, and I don't really know the church life thing, but I believe in Jesus, and I'm becoming increasingly convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. That is a good, good thing. I want to applaud you, and I want to say, great job. That is a good, good thing, but don't stop short. Don't halt there. Don't say, I'm just going to believe. That's your only, let me say it this way. If you believe in Jesus, you're halfway there. But you've got to take it a step beyond that, and you've got to receive Jesus, and you've got to receive him. And when you do, you will receive an indestructible joy, an indestructible joy. It would be, and, and you don't know it. You don't know how joyful that will be into your life till you experience it. I have friends of mine that they have kids, that their kids are going to have kids for them, you know, grandkids. And I'm like, listen, I'm a grandparent these two amazing little girls, and I can tell you how great it is to be a grandparent, but until you are one, I can talk about it all day long, but you're not going to know how joyful that's going to be into your life. I can talk to you about being in Jesus all day long, about what it means to believe in him and to receive him, but you're not going to know that joy until you personally experience it in your own life, and then you'll know. And it will be an indestructible joy that circumstances or people or the evil one could never steal away from your life. You know, basically, every conceivable thing in your life can be taken from you. You can be robbed of so much in your life. Let me ask you, and I'm not necessarily saying at gunpoint, you know, real dramatic like, but how many of you have ever been robbed? How many of you have ever had something stolen from you? Just, just lift your hand like that. You've, have, you've been robbed of something. Something was stolen away from you. I can remember many, many years ago, uh, Audrey, our daughter who's on the front row, she, she, was not even, she was not even born yet, and the boys were very, very small, and we'd been away on a vacation, and so we knew what day we were coming back, and we had planned our time accordingly. We had timed it, or let me, let me clarify, I had timed it. I had timed it. Because, and uh, some of you are like this, or some of you are married to people that are like this, you know, travel is just, it's, it's a time thing. It's a, it's a race. It's a mission. 
It's, you know, it's numbers and whatever time it took you to get from point A to point B the last time. You've got to beat that by at least a little bit. And so I had this all calculated in my brain that if we had left the place of our destination, coming back home, that if we could be home by such and such a time, I don't even remember what the program it was that we were so addicted to, that we would get there just enough time and we would miss our favorite TV program. It was before, you know, your DVR and recording everything. So I timed it just right. We pulled up, and I'm like, this is, this is so perfect. We're here. We'll have a chance to get the suitcases in, I'm pie, put things away, sit down. And we made it. We made it in time. And so I'm, uh, I'm ahead of the crew a little bit. Now I walk up to the door, and, and I reach my hand on the door to put the key into it. And I just, I don't know why I even did it. I just turned the handle like that. And can you believe it? Somebody was kind enough to have already opened the door for us. Somebody had already been there. And I walked in, and what I saw, I could not believe. Somebody had taken everything in the entertainment center. I mean, every single thing in the entertainment. In fact, they were in such a hurry. They were in such a hurry. I, I never even thought anybody would try something like that. They didn't even take the time to unplug it from the wall and pull it through the little holes in the back of the entertainment center that I had threaded it to, you know what they did? They had some kind of instrument, and they just cut the wires, whatever, receiver, television. They just went through anything plugged into a wall. They cut it, and, and I was just saying, oh, God, I pray that they were electrocuted. <laughs> not, not really, not really. I mean, not like death. I mean, you know, blow their hair out, their eyes out, or something like that. Not like death. Not, you know, don't, please. I'm like, oh, and, and so I'm just so, I'm like, can you, and I turned around to the boys and I said, I said, the TV is gone. It's gone. They took everything. They got it all. And the boys are like, yeah, dad, sure, right. You're trying to kid us. You know, it's, and I'm like, oh man, it's gone. They robbed us. And basically you can have anything you have stolen from you, but the joy of knowing that you're in a personal relationship with God that loves you. And that cares about you. And if you believe, that's great. But you got to receive. Maybe you'd want to do that right now. I know that this is not the very end of the service. I got one more thing that I'm going to just quickly mention about joy. But here's what I want you to do right now I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. Everybody, just bow your heads right where you're at and close your eyes. Just do that right now. And if you're here today and you say, you know, Jeff, you're talking to me, I'd like to have that kind of joy that nobody could ever take away. People couldn't steal that from me. Circumstances would not rob me of that kind of joy. The devil couldn't even, the evil one could not even cause that to evaporate from my life. I want that kind of inexpressible joy that Jesus said could be mine because I'm in his family and I'm not a Christian yet, but I want to become one and I want to pray and receive Christ into my life right now. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You just lift up your hand. And you'd say, I want to pray that prayer with you. And I see your hand right back there. And I see your hand. I see your hand right there. And I see your hand. And right there where you're at, you would just, you would just pray this prayer right in your mind, right in your heart. And you'd just say, Jesus, I believe, at least in my ability to believe, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you love me. I believe that you care about me. I want to receive you into my life. I'm so sorry for my sins. My sins have become to me like a burden too heavy to bear. And I want to 
I want to get your forgiveness and I want to lay them down and I want to live for you and I want to serve you and I want to love you. I want to know that there's a secure place for me in heaven so that one day when I die, I don't come to my final days and live in great anxiety. I will close my eyes and rest and know that when they reopen, they will be in your presence forever and forever. Jesus, I receive you right now. Come into my life. I receive you as my Savior and leader. With your help, I'll live for you all my days. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you put your hands together? And let's just give God some praise. A final one. A final one. Be sure you get this one. Joy. You will experience, you see it on the screen now, this is fourth and final one. You will experience joy at the highest possible level when Jesus returns. You see, friends, when you're in Jesus, when you're a follower of Jesus, the end of the world as we know it now is not something to be dreaded. It is for you something that will be totally joyful. Look at what Jesus said. This is John 16. Look at it on the screen. Jesus said, it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy. She forgets about all the pain that she had once she holds that little baby because she has brought a new baby into the world. Then look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, so you have sorrow now. And don't we? We face problems and challenges. We have disappointments now. But Jesus said this. He said, but I will see you again. And then you will what? Say it with me. You will rejoice. And no one can rob you of that joy. And Jesus said that you're going to experience that. You see, friends, when Jesus returns to this world the second time, everybody's going to know it. They will. Everybody didn't know it when he came into the world the first time. Everybody didn't know why he was born. It was though it was secretively in many respects. He was born as a little baby in a manger in Bethlehem. The whole world did not know it. A very limited number of people knew it. Some shepherds saw a star in the east. They weren't others, but nobody. But when he comes back the second time, everybody will know it. In fact, look at this verse on the screen. This is the A part of verse seven out of Revelation one. And this is what it says. Look, Jesus is coming. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, and everybody's going to see him. Everybody's going to know. But tragically, not everybody's going to be taken. Actually, friends, there will be a massive amount of people that will be left behind. But can you imagine what it will be like for those who are in Jesus? Can you imagine what it will be like for Jesus? Can you imagine what it will be like for his children? Most of you know that about a month ago, our oldest son, Brent, and his wife, Nicole, and these two little girls that I'm so crazy about, Kenley Landry, that they moved north. They moved north. And, oh, man, that's been such a tough thing. I've never been a FaceTime person. I just haven't, but I am now. I've never had any kind of notice come up on my phone telling me that my data is just about gone. I didn't realize how quickly that FaceTime will suck up data. But I'm like, okay, I can't be FaceTiming a whole lot more. And I just anticipate, we all anticipate, come Christmas when they're coming home. And we're going to welcome them home, Brent, Nicole, and Kenley, and Landry. We're going to welcome them home at Christmas. But one day, Jesus is going to welcome you home. Jesus is looking forward to it. And it will bring to you a joy like you have never known before. Do not, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, do not look at the end of your life or the end of this world with dread. Look at it joyfully. You're going to be welcome 
into the eternal kingdom of God. You get the privilege. I get the privilege to be a part. Remember what Paul said to those believers in Rome? He said, it is not eating and drinking. That's not the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is joy and peace and righteousness. And joy will be at its zenith of experience when Jesus welcomes us home. And that's going to happen. And we're coming to heaven, and there in heaven there's going to be no more suffering. You think about that. There's going to be a day when there's going to be no more suffering. There's going to be no more pain in your life. There's going to be not another tear shed. You're never going to be sick another day in your life. There will be no sadness. There will be no poverty. There will be no violence. There will be no sin. None of these things will be in heaven. Now, I can't prove what I'm about to say next theologically, but I think when we get to heaven, there's not even going to be mosquitoes or love bugs. I don't think. I don't think. Maybe there would be. But it will be an incredible place, and you will experience a joy like you never thought possible. Kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It is righteousness. It is peace. It is joy. Bill Hybels writes, you see it on the screen. We're done. We pray. In fact, you can go ahead and stand as I read it. Go ahead and stand. He said this, because God experiences intense joy, more intense joy than we could ever imagine. We should allow ourselves also to experience soul-enlarging joy. And that soul-enlarging joy can be yours. We've seen it. Joy comes when we obey the teachings of Jesus. Joy can be experienced even when we suffer for Jesus' sake. There's no joy on this earth like the joy of the day when we believe and receive Jesus as the Savior and the leader of our life. And then one day, Jesus is coming back. Every eye will see him, and he's going to take us home. And there will be unstoppable, indestructible joy ever, 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 never ceasing. So, Father, that's what we want. We just pray that, that you would just drive this into our heart and our spirit. God, when we come back to this place next week, and I pray that every person will be here, I pray that they will bring with them a friend, a family member, a co-worker that is just struggling, just going through a, a tough time, just going through some anxiety or just some pressure in their life, and they need hope and encouragement. I just pray that you'll speak to us all. Thank you for joy that is within our reach, and I pray that we will go for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you next Sunday.